At JCPenney, fashion counts for everybody and everybody. The weather is getting warmer and it's time to swap my winter layers for fun, vibrant, and cool clothing with so many fun things happening this spring like Mother's Day and the Wind Down Tour. It's hard to find great looking clothes that fit you just right. That's why I love JCPenney. JCPenney has so many stylish and comfortable options for so many different body types. I've been blown away by their selection and everything hugs my body in all the right spots. Refresh your wardrobe this spring with style that gets you. Something to wear that fits your favorite moments of the season at prices that feel just as good. Discover brands that get you and put style and comfort first, like Worthington and Liz Claiborne for her, each in women's petite and plus sizes. Here, spring comes in all shapes, sizes, and colors. JCPenney, make everybody count. With AT&T in-car Wi-Fi, elevate your adventure by transforming your vehicle into a reliable Wi-Fi hotspot. Connect up to 10 devices up to 50 feet away from your vehicle, making it ideal for camping and road trips. Don't miss out on the fun. Embark on your next adventure today. Visit att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi to check if you're eligible for a free trial. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. This is Asked and Answered. Questions. With Tom Opferman and Steelers Digest editor Bob Labriola. It's a short week for your Pittsburgh Steelers. Thursday night football against the Cleveland Browns. Labs, I think we should start by giving ourselves a really emphatic pat on the bat. Pat on the back for still doing this podcast on a short week. That's that's just great work from both of us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and I couldn't even speak or, to start the podcast on a short week. So that shows you the dedication that we have. Or you can look at it <laughs> this way. It's a poor job by my wife for not hitting the Powerball. Uh, because if she, next week. The power, if, she, if she had hit the Powerball, um, when you called me, this line would have been dead. <laughs> Permanently. <laughs> Permanently. <laughs> Got a ton of questions to get to today in Asked and Answered. Our first one comes from Kevin Newby in Emigrant, Montana. And a bit of a trouble for me determining if our streak continues on quarterback questions because this is a quarterback question, but it's about a quarterback that's not on the team anymore. Similarly to last week, actually, when we talked about Chris Oladokun. So, Labs, in a weird way, we're starting a streak within the streak when it comes to quarterback questions. It's like Inception I, I, here. I, I just I just think that uh, Steelers Nation deserves kudos <laughs> for finding different ways to keep the streak going. I mean, you know, um, Joe DiMaggio, if he would have bunted for a single, it keeps the consecutive game hitting streak alive. <laughs> I mean, there's no argument about it. Quarterback question is a quarterback question. And you kind of answered your own um, you know, doubts there with your little open there. Yeah, so, we're counting it. We're counting um, it. Absolutely. <laughs> Kevin Newby asks, when is a player like Ben Roethlisberger eligible to enter the Steelers Hall of Honor? Uh, okay, Kevin, uh, I'm going to give it to you. Uh, there, there is, I'm going to give you the exact wording of the criteria required of a player for election to the Steelers Hall of Honor. Okay, here you go. Retired for at least three seasons, must have played for the Steelers for a minimum of three seasons, and should possess noteworthy career highlights, records, and achievements. So, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna go out on a limb and say, um, three years after he retired, which is um, this year, then he will be 
eligible. And, um, <laughs> you know, I'll vote for him. <laughs> really? <laughs> wow. You're going yes. out on a limb there on that one. Yeah, well, you know. <laughs> you like to be bold. You like I, to be bold. I, <laughs> yeah, give give the uh, our faithful fans of this <laughs> podcast a little nugget every now and then. Yes, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that uh, as soon as Ben Roethlisberger is eligible, he will have my vote. Mike Pavlik from Low- Lower Burl, Pennsylvania. Do players on the practice squad count against the team's salary cap just the same as players on the 53-man roster? Yes. Um, um, practice squad players or anyone on what the NFL refers to as its reserved list, lists. That would be injured reserve, physically unable to perform. Um, all of those guys count on the cap, and they are paid, well, the guys on the reserve list are paid the salary as it's outlined in their contract. Okay. So, for example, you know, if the year Ben Roethlisberger went on IR 2019, I don't remember what his salary was. Let's just pretend it was $20 million. You get, he gets $20 million. Um, so practice squad though, however, is a different category. That is a, some that's negotiated, you know, within the collective bargaining agreement, and there is a range um, where teams can pay. You know, it's not a set number for everybody. Right. Um, so, but all of that counts against the cap, and that's why, you know, I always caution fans when they s- hit me with a question. Well, you know, I saw on the internet that the Steelers have X amount of cap space. Well. A lot of times, those estimates of that number don't consider what we were just talking about here. You know, you can have a 12-man practice squad, um, and I think the minimum is it's something less than 10000 a week, um, but not a whole lot less. So let's just pick out a number, $8,000 right. a week for a practice squad. Okay, so that's 8000 times 12. And then the practice squad guys get paid every week just like players. So, you know, it's a 17-week season. That's 18 weeks, including the bye. So that's 18 times 8 times 12. You know, that gets to be a pretty decent number. I mean, it's not what you make or anything. Of course not. Of course not. I wouldn't be doing this if I made uh, that little. (laughs) (laughs) So, but anyway, yes, they do count. Are you telling me, or at least trying to tell me, though, that things that are on the internet aren't always true? Uh, yeah, I, I think I, that, I think you, that might have been my point. How dare you, sir? <laughs> uh, I didn't mean to burst your bubble. Robert McSorley from Big Timber, Montana. Why do the offensive linemen not rotate out during games? It seems like every other position, besides quarterback, allows players to substitute in out, but offensive linemen stay on the field for the entire game. I wonder if Robert McSorley is related in any way to Craig Wolfley, because um, I hear I have heard from him many times that um, you know rotating guys in and out of a game, you know, to keep them fresh. Um, offensive linemen are never allowed that luxury. Um, but anyway, I, I believe that the reason behind this is that so much of offensive line play, or so much of good offensive line play determines 
you know, those five guys up front, the center, the two guards, and the two tackles, to operate as a unit. You know, there's a lot of things um, that an offensive line does kind of in tandem, you know, like the Rockettes, Radio City Music Hall, um, with different costumes, of course. Um, but, you know, rotating guys in and out all the time, I don't think would do anything to enhance uh, the cohesion that is usually present uh, in quality offensive line play. So uh, that's that would be my explanation of why that's the case. Micah Rittenauer from Tunnelton, West Virginia asks, I know you have received a lot of questions about jerseys being retired and the Hall of Honor. Were you surprised by the recent announcement that Franco Harris's number 32 is to be retired? And did this open the gates for more jersey retirements? Um, okay, let me just say this first. Uh, my opinion, uh, I've written this, uh, I think I've said this on, on this podcast uh, on jersey retirements, is that, you know, I kind of like the way that the Steelers have done it. Um, making it a rare thing. Um, and and the, the other thing that I liked about it was the fact that they kind of only, they well, up until now, they only had retired one player's jersey from the team from the 70s that won four Super Bowls in six years and sent so many of those guys to the Hall of Fame. Uh, because, you know, it's almost like a parent choosing which of his children or their <laughs> that's, children. That's a great way to They like it. best. <laughs> they like best. I mean, you know, I don't know. I don't know how that, that would work. Um, and, you know, I just don't think you want to alienate any of your historically great players. I mean, guys who won four Super Bowls and are Hall of Famers, I think literally um, can be described as great players, franchise great players. So, you know, again, I pick any of them who, and I don't, I don't want to name any names to say they would be offended if so-and-so was their jersey was retired before theirs because, you know, I don't want to put a label on someone who may not actually have that opinion. But you don't even want to risk that, right. I don't think. I wouldn't. So that's why I liked the fact that Joe Green – was the only player from that group to have his jersey retired because, you know, I recall Dan Rooney saying uh, to me at one point that before doing, if they actually, the, the, the Steelers got in touch with some of the other um, great players from those teams and asked, you know, I won't say asked for their blessing, but I think they kind of floated it. And the response that they got from all of them was, yeah, Joe Green, he was the guy. Yeah. He was heading, he was, you know, uh, um, he was the standard bearer, uh, the cornerstone, uh, you know, whatever word you want to use to indicate that Joe Green was uh, the greatest among the greats of those teams for what he both contributed on the field and as the um, extension of Chuck Knoll in a locker room. So <clears throat> I, I like that. But, you know, I also think that, um, you know, there's something to be said for uh, recognizing your history. And so um, I believed when, when people would try and pin me down and say, who do you think would be next? 
Franco was my pick uh, because, you know, Art Rooney Sr. said uh, when Franco retired, I remember it was something like, we didn't win many games until he got here, and then once he got here, we didn't lose many games. <laughs> and when you look at it, you know, um, Joe Green came in 69, but really the first winning season under Chuck Knoll, the first division championship in franchise history, the first playoff win in franchise history call, all came in 1972, which was Franco Harris's rookie year. Oh, and let's not forget that catch he made uh, in that playoff game <laughs> that has a nickname. What's that? Oh, yeah, the Immaculate Reception. Statue by the airport so, or something? Um, I don't remember. Yeah, Immaculate something. <laughs> so anyway, um, I, I just believed that Franco would be that guy. Uh, and it, as it turns out, he is. Uh, I don't think it's coincidence that um, this is happening in conjunction with the 50th anniversary uh, of the Immaculate Reception. So um, it it makes sense to me. I, so I wasn't surprised. I won't say I was disappointed either. Uh, I think Franco Harris is deserving. Um, now, does it open the gates for more Jersey retirements? <clears throat> well, all I can tell you is um, Steelers President Art Rooney II, I believe in this uh in this matter would be a committee of one who's deciding <laughs> if and whom. And this is what he said during the announcement that uh, of Harris's Jersey retirement that happened on September the 6th. He said, you know, we've taken our time doing this over the years, and so I don't expect to be doing it very often. I think it'll still be a rare occasion. And as Franco said, it's hard to make the decision because we do have many players who are deserving. So we'll just keep taking our time with it. Given this is the this is the 50th anniversary of the greatest play in NFL history, and Franco made the play, it's the appropriate time to do Franco's jersey number. Then we'll probably take our time making decisions on the rest. So, you know, I don't know how old you are, Micah. Um, whether you'll see more in your lifetime or not. But um, Joe Green's was done in 2014, mm -hmm. I think. This one is 2022. Um, so 2030. We see more? We'll get Jack Lambert in there. <laughs> <laughs> you think he's next? I don't know. I was just throwing out a name. Like you said, okay. Lance, there's about a million people I could have picked there as an example, right. and it would have been, it would have been realistic. Right, because that, that's the thing now. I mean, even even the pick of Franco makes sense in the historical context. You know, the 50th anniversary of the Immaculate right. Reception. And I really think that that play, um, while it didn't lead to a Super Bowl championship, it certainly was kind of, you know, broke the ice in terms of uh, the Steelers viewing themselves in a way that they were actually contenders. Because... When the Immaculate Reception game kicked off, all the Pittsburgh Steelers were at that time was a team that lost every big game that was ever in their history. Right. Okay. So, um, you know, who's next? I don't know when it'll be. I don't know. Uh, but I, I think that's part of the charm of the whole thing. John No from San Jose, California, keeps the Franco theme going, asking, in light of the wonderful news that the Steelers will retire number 32, since Franco seems like such a great guy, can you share a personal anecdote about your favorite moment involving Franco? Um, okay, this this was a story um, that I heard, I have heard many times. And, um, 
you know, it was one that Myron Cope often told. Uh, this was during the 1970s, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna reveal all of the names because I don't want to embarrass anyone, you know, who was involved in this. Um, but there was an athlete in Pittsburgh, a professional athlete in Pittsburgh, and there was a boy um, in Children's Hospital uh, whose fondest wish was to be visited by that other pro Pittsburgh professional athlete. Um, that guy was a no-show, or he wasn't interested, or I, you know, I don't remember the exact detail of that. Mm -hmm. uh, but when word, when word of that filtered back to the Steelers, um, Franco Harris volunteered. He stepped up, said, I'll go. And he took Lynn Swan with him, and they brought the kid a bunch of stuff, you know, Steelers stuff, and spent a day with him in Children's Hospital. So that's my Frank O'Hare story about the kind of guy he is. Rain or shine, every day is a great day for fishing, right? You got rain gear, but you can't overlook sunny day gear. A Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie has you covered on the sunniest days. Like literally. I mean, who wouldn't trade a sunburn for a trophy fish? But why do it if you don't have to? Especially when this Solar Stream Elite hoodie is built with broad spectrum UV protection. We're talking UPF 50. And it has airflow so you don't overheat. And what's the alternative? Putting down the rod every half hour so you can slather on some sunscreen. Seems like an easy choice to be. Columbia PFG has you covered with their Castback TC shoe. Its OmniMax cushioning and traction system helps if you're on your feet a lot, say, fighting a fish. Not to mention keeping you sure-footed on a wet, rocking boat. So if you're going to be spending long days out on the water, and I sincerely hope that you will be, head over to Columbia.com PFG and shop all their performance fishing gear. Mike Clapper from Bedford, Pennsylvania. I'm happy to see that Franco Harris is getting his jersey retired, and while his time will probably come, do you think Terry Bradshaw should have been chosen before Franco? Uh, I do not. Um, that's nothing against Bradshaw, truly. A great player, clutch quarterback, all of that kind of stuff. But I think that um, people who lived through that era, um, people who have studied that era, would make the case that the Steelers' first two Super Bowls were won with defense and the running game. And the running game was Franco. So, no, I would not have chosen Terry Bradshaw over Franco Harris. And Super Bowl MVPs in those first two Super Bowls certainly back up your case there. John Thompson from Conneaut, Conneaut, Ohio. Larry Brown is one of the most versatile players in Steelers history. Could you provide details as to why the Steelers switched him from tight end to offensive tackle? Well, um, the situation with Larry Brown, uh, you know, as, as often happens in the NFL, uh, injuries have an impact on a lot of different elements. And injuries, and an injury to Larry Brown uh, was the catalyst behind the move. Um, during the 1976 season, Brown was still a tight end, and he sustained a knee injury that caused him to miss some games down the stretch. So then during the... 1977 offseason, um, Noel, you know, and, and let, let me say this too, medical science wasn't what it was, wasn't then what it is now. <laughs> There's been some so advancements. Of, <laughs> yeah, so a lot of times, you know, a lot of knee injuries now that, 
you know, maybe not even keep a guy out for an entire calendar year, then we're potentially career ending. So, you know, we have to keep that in mind too, the different, it's 50 years ago almost. So anyway, uh, but Noel believed that uh, Brown's knee injury had robbed him of some of the quickness um, and and speed that uh, was required to play tight end in the NFL. So uh, Noel still liked Larry Brown as a player, and so they came up with the idea, maybe we'll try him at offensive tackle. Uh, he proposed the change to Larry Brown. Larry Brown was willing to accept that, uh, and then you know, he transformed his body and learned a new position and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And so, you know, his willingness to do that work um, made sure that it was, a, that, that Noel's idea was successful. Um, but let me just say this to John here, and, I, and I, I've mentioned this on this podcast previously. One of the most versatile players in Steelers history. Okay, let me mention this again. This is the Steelers' 90th year. Okay, when you're talking about Steelers history, there's a lot. There's a lot of there's a lot of years, a lot of games, a lot of players, and we're also talking about different eras of the sport where guys regularly didn't just play one position. You know, it wasn't always two platoon football. Okay, so let me just propose this to John. In 1946, Bill Dudley led the NFL in rushing. He led the NFL in punt returns. He led the NFL in interceptions. And he led the NFL in fumble recoveries. Okay? He led the NFL in an offensive statistic, a defensive statistic, and a special team statistic. And he did it all in the same season. Okay? That's versatile. Okay? It's like Bill a definition Dudley's in of the Hall it. Of, <laughs> yeah. Bill Dudley's in the Hall of Fame, as he deserves to be. And he's also the answer to this trivia question. You can use this next time you're in a lo- local watering hole and you're looking for somebody to buy the next round. I love who's it. Who's the last? Who's the last Steelers player to lead the NFL in rushing? Bill Dudley. Bill Dudley, <laughs> 1946. That's a great trivia question too, because of all the legendary running backs that have come after him. So you know, people are going to be like, "Oh, yes. it's Drum. Oh, it's Franco. Franco. Oh, it's Willie Beth Parker that Bettis. one year. Yeah, or <laughs> the year that Barry Foster." Uh, set the new franchise record, 1992. You know, he would be a, some people might think, ah, yeah, you're trying to trick me. Uh, it's not Franco or Bettis, it's Barry Foster. <laughs> well, it's like, not well I either. was trying to trick you, and it wasn't even him. <laughs> it was Bill Dudley. Yep. Keith Weimer from Boardman, Ohio. When a team is away, by when do they arrive in the host city? And does the NFL mandate in any way the travel plans of the visiting team? Um, well, the only mandate is that um, the NFL uh, requires teams, the visiting team, to be in the host city at least 18 hours before kickoff. So, as an example, you know, the, this week's game is a Thursday night game. Um, the Steelers will leave for Cleveland on Wednesday. Um, now, there have been instances where the league has uh, adjusted this rule, uh, and I remember, and, th- and that's usually because of severe weather. Um, uh, it, there was a there was a four o'clock game in New York during uh, one of those nor'easters or mm-hmm. something that was coming in off the coast, 
Um, and they allowed the Steelers to, since it was a late game, they allowed the Steelers to leave Sunday morning because not only would travel have been iffy on Saturday because that's when it was supposed to hit, but the league also will not uh, get in the way of public safety. You know, you don't want to be um, putting a stress on, you know, any of the emergency services or anything else that might be necessary to help people in the event of these weather emergencies. And so, um, you know, taking up hotel rooms or all of the things that go in with an NFL team traveling to a, to another city, um, you know, you don't, you don't want buses on the road, you don't want planes in the air, you know, you don't want any of that stuff getting in the way. So while they uh, the league will sometimes adjust the rule for weather emergencies, the general rule is 18 hours before, and if you want a way, weather waiver, uh, that has it has to be approved by the league. Our final question today comes from Ryan Haar from Devil's Lake, North Dakota. With the restructure of T.J. Watt's contract before the regular season opened and the talks of restructuring Cam Hayward's, do you see the Steelers making another pickup somewhere early in the season? Blake Martinez intrigues me, but another spot needs to be cleared up, and it gets too messy thinking of hypotheticals. What would they be clearing up space for? Well, as we talked about in an earlier question, um, you know, there's stuff like practice squad, IR, all of that stuff that eats up um, cap space. So um, teams would like want to go in. I remember Kevin Colbert, and this was years before the pandemic, uh, before practice squads were um, expanded. And he said at the time that he liked to have between three and five million cushion in cap space uh, to take care of unforeseen things that could happen. Right. Uh, you know, if you have an injury and you got to sign a guy, um, not only and if it's a significant player, okay, you got to put the significant player on IR and you still have to pay him. And then signing someone else, if he's a significant guy or you want to trade for somebody or whatever it is, that could require a significant amount of money as well. So. In the NFL, when it comes to salary cap space, it's rarely an issue of use it or lose it because having not enough cap space is a big problem. Yes, Having too much never is because you can roll it over to the next year. So I don't think that the restructures that Ryan is referring to um, are particularly pointed towards making a corresponding move um, to eat up that space. Uh, so, you know, I, I just think it's a situation where you, you can do that with these two guys. You're not worried about these two guys being on your team. Cause I don't think either one of them are any danger of being cut. You know, I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb there. Too <laughs> there you go again, going out on those limbs. I'm, yeah. You're risking um, a lot with so, these takes. <laughs> so, um, so anyway, so I, I just think it's, you know, it's it's a procedure that can be done. It's a safe procedure when you're talking about these two particular guys. And so why not? Because if you don't use it, if you don't need it, you can roll it over to next year. And who knows what you might need then. So there you go. 
Steelers at Brownies on Thursday night football. Short week for your Steelers at the mistake by the lake. As always, we appreciate you guys giving us a listen. Labs and I will be back again next week with a fresh edition of Asked and Answered. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Hey guys, back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah! And some waves, so we could go surfing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> ah, love that! A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in! Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it! Um, tenor girl go shopping. Yeah, baby! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.